Welcome to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Teresa Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. What's up, ladies? Hello. Hi. How's it going? How y'all doing out there? Um, I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. That's good. Yeah, similar for me. Um, trying to stay away from other people as much as possible. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The name uh, of the game. The state of the world this year. So. Yeah. All right. So this week we'll be talking about the doomsday cuts from the MTA, the French president and his new rules for Muslim in France, and some updates on COVID nineteen and all there is with that in the U.S. So let's kick off today's episode with the local segment. Emily, what do you have for us today? All righty. So this story comes from a November 18th New York Times article by Christine Goldbaum titled Subway Service Could Be Cut 40% If No Federal Aid Arrives. Yikes. Um, So according to the article, this past week, the MTA announced some of the drastic measures that it might need to take in order to balance its budget in the face of a $16.4 billion deficit. Um, Current current ridership at only 30% of pre-pandemic levels, and on top of that, no federal aid or stimulus package on the way. Quote, the MTA, the nation's largest transit agency, which operates the subway, buses, and two commuter rails, is seeking $12 billion in federal aid, an outcome that is far less likely if Republicans retain control of the Senate, Um, end quote. And again, another reason why (laughs) allies on Georgia for the the runoff Senate election that's going to come up in January, who will decide who controls the Senate. But but anyway, so the the proposed, quote, doomsday plan includes subway service slash by 40%, with weekend service hit the hardest. 15-minute wait times and other lines totally eliminated. Um, The elimination of some bus routes and with the remaining bus service cut by one-third. And a, quote, service on two of the country's busiest commuter rails reduced by half. And those two rails are the Long Island Railroad and Metro North. Um, It should be noted that nothing is finalized yet and more specifics are to come. The board will vote on a budget in a few weeks. The article explains that laying out this worst-case scenario picture is, quote, part of a strategy to pressure Congress Congress into providing more support. Cuts would likely not be implemented until the spring, but that would happen to correspond with a scheduled fare hike, which sort of sucks timing-wise, that they might be cutting a ton of service while also charging more for it. Um, According to Nick Cifuentes, the executive director for Uh, an advocacy group called the Tri-State Transportation Campaign. Quote, New York was already going to have a difficult time, but these cuts on transit are like doubling down on the difficulty of New York getting back on its collective feet again. What might have taken a couple of years can now potentially take decades. The announcement also included over 9,000 jobs slashed, almost half from bus service. On top of, and on top of that, um, quote, union leaders warned that such a drastic step would provoke a fiery response from their members, including a work slowdown that would worsen service even before any official cuts were made. Um, the New York City transit workforce will correctly view this as the greatest portrayal of their careers, said John Samuelson, the international president of the powerful Transit Workers Union. There will be rank and file rebellion, which will lead to chaos. It will lead to a disruption in service. MTA workers control production and maintenance and on-time performance on buses and a subway, he added. They don't need to strike to make their voices heard. Fun, right, guys? Um, 
<laughs> very threatening and scary. Um, so the pandemic is largely to blame for the need for those kinds of drastic measures, however, um, as we're, most of us are probably aware. The latest analysis of MTA finances and ridership by the consulting giant McKinsey and Company projects that even in the best case scenario, ridership will not reach 90% of pre-pandemic levels before 2024. Um, and that was a quote from the New York Times. I'm not sure if I didn't mention that, um, that last bit. So the MTA's chief financial officer said, we're go- quote, we're going to have to match our service structure and service schedules to equal rider demand. This is just ugly. This, though, is something we have to consider, you know, if we're going to survive. Unfortunately, however, slashing service comes with its own set of issues, including, quote, sending the system into a so-called death spiral in which increasingly unreliable service keeps riders from returning to the system, exacerbating the agency's financial crisis by depriving it of fair revenue. So the MTA currently plans to borrow $2.9 billion from an emergency program run by the Federal Reserve to try and fend off cuts. And Joe Biden is, quote, considered a strong advocate of public transit. So maybe the future uh, is going to bring better tidings for the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. But who knows, because they were in trouble before the pandemic hit, too. So that is the story, ladies. This sucks. It sucks. <laughs> and I just say that blanketly because, like, come on, like, how much fucking money does the MTA have, you know, for them it's to be cra- having these shutdowns like this? Like, I don't buy it. I feel like they're doing <laughs> this. You know, I mean, I hate to just well, be they- devil's advocate, but really, like, it's stupid. Okay. I I always appreciate a cynical view of stuff. <laughs> I think, but but... I think they were having they were like millions of dollars in the hole even before the pandemic started I guess like if we believe right <laughs> and um, I think a lot of that my understanding is that the funds are controlled by the governor and not the city itself and there was yeah. and like if anyone is tuned into those sorts of nuanced relationships the gov you know the governor and the mayor don't always get along <laughs> yeah I listened to both of their uh, press right. this week I was like why don't you boys just get on the phone and talk honestly they need to have like um they need what is it couples therapy um (laughs) seriously though yeah uh, just the the things that have been going down like the ridership going down i think a lot of what you're seeing is not only other people that are the hit hard that are hit the hardest with um losing their jobs and stuff like disproportionately working class like working poor people but the people that rely the most on the MTA, specifically buses, are people that do like service type jobs. You know, like they don't have the ability to be like, oh, I'm just going to Uber everywhere or I'm just going to buy a car, you know? So these things, it's like you mentioned the yeah. death spiral. It's like it's the, it's the it becomes a spiral where the people that are always the worst hit by these things get hit even harder because it was already tough if you had to, you know, make sure you were on time to work and you and you were relying on, you know, a subway with crumbling infrastructure. And now not only is that the case, but it's also going to be longer wait times and maybe strikes, you know, it's. Absolutely, Jasmine. And um, who's working from home right now, you know, right. not the people, not janitors and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know. absolutely um i you're absolutely right and on top of that if anyone has ever looked at an mta map you know the the 
the subway lines are concentrated really heavily in Manhattan. Right. Um, and then as you move farther out to, into the outer boroughs where it's more affordable to live um, and where the commutes are longer to where the more of the jobs are, which is Manhattan, you know, you're, they're relying on more bus service and the subway system is much more spread out. Um, so those sorts of bus cuts, you know, are absolutely going to hit people that are already have really long commute times. Um, hypothetically, one thing in the article I did note is that they are, um, it says in the article, quote, no bus riders after these cuts, um, would be more than half a mi- of a mile from another bus line or subway station. Um, so they are trying to pay attention to, um, not leaving people stranded, hypothetically but half of a mile is a pretty long walk for some people you know if you're not a very like mobile person for whatever reason you have a bad knee um whatever you know the half a mile is is nothing to sneeze at yeah Yeah. a big difference i mean you see that now when they have the delays and they combine the train it used to be for track service um and stuff like that especially going into the winter I know that um, actually my neighbor works for the MTA and he was just talking about um, how all the changes are affecting the homeless population and things of that nature that is really going to be even worse now because with the subway being closed through the middle of the night and now these other other sort of, you know, um, um, I guess you could say decrease in personnel, you know, there's other issues that's not just the service itself that the MTA is facing, so... Definitely not looking forward to this going into the winter. Um, that's kind of scary. I've still been working outside of the home as well as my roommate. So, you know, I do notice now that there does seem to be more people on the train, but it does seem like it's taking longer to come already. And it, they did say that this the these cuts that are proposed this week wouldn't be implemented until the spring, okay. until maybe May. Okay. So it won't it it won't be the reason for more crowded service this winter okay that's which good. is a, a yeah and up definitely an upside because of course like more crowded trains during a huge covid strike is exactly the opposite of what they're looking for so yeah, yeah. well i really yeah, hope it just, that it just frustrates me because it, it's like when we talk about housing and everything else the resources exist it's just there's no the right people don't have the will to use the resources to make it happen right you know and it's it's it sucks but all these you know people who don't deserve it end up being punished by you know people above them playing games exactly exactly i feel like you know when it comes to things like this that um obviously are in the hands of the leadership and they can't even agree on whether or not to school to close the schools i can imagine how this funding can get caught up in, in lots of different things um and you know to to the mta's uh to their point, I'm sure with the increase of um, bodies and people needed to make sure that the subways are safe, you know, with the virus, that's definitely taking a toll on the way that they structure, you know, their finances this year as well. There's a lot, a lot of moving pieces there. Yeah. And yeah, you guys are, are right. Totally right. Like right about the, the distribution of resources here, especially cause it's like, I really was thinking about it. It's like they have like there's there's developers out there like building like friggin like Hudson Yards right which is like how empty is that you know giant development right now with all the skyscrapers they built and how much money was poured into that over years and how there's there's money there's resources out there but the priorities are just not 
to keep like public services functioning in in the way that we would hope like you know infrastructure isn't sexy is like a phrase I've heard multiple times and obviously it's not lucrative um in the way that you know developers would hope that their investments are but it's really important <laughs> um yeah. yeah yeah I was uh just listening to some some story uh right before we logged on today and people were just talking about how New York City is never you know it's not the same at all like it's, you know, and these are the things that make up New York City and our lifestyle and our life ways. You know, it's very interesting to see how this place is going to be next year. Yeah, it makes me want to, I haven't seen the documentary. I should, the doc, I should talk to my parents. It was called um, Ford to the City Drop Dead about um, what New York was like in the 70s when there were you know, like the Bronx was burning, like the mm-hmm. sub, there were like sanitation worker strikes, the subways and stuff were in disarray, you know? So I, I think whatever happens, like New York is always going to be here, but I, I think it'll probably be a repeat of something similar, you know, like where the feds are just leaving and the, the city out to dry, like there's no investment in lower income, um, issues that would actually help people like with human services like I hope that we'll be able to come back out of it like the city sort of did back in the day but yeah it's it seems like we're in for a downward spiral for a while yeah it's gonna be it's definitely gonna be different I mean you know it's funny because New York City it's not funny but New York has our our seasons we have like eight months of winter you know so every year I'm always like here we go coldest winter ever but this may literally be the coldest winter ever with all of these changes that we've been through this year oh man (laughs) oh my well thank you so much for bringing us that story definitely um yeah thinking about all of us new yorkers as we go into this season we're gonna go ahead and take our first musical break today the first track is called 10 missed calls and it's by black coffee featuring pharrell williams and josie we'll be right back when you say you're picking up i just want to make sure you're serious as fuck Cause you're picking up much more This the type of thing that freaks me out I guess it's cause I don't have control but Let it roll Yeah
Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. And before we hop into our national news, we have an update from Emily. Yes, I have a little announcement on behalf of the radio station. So um, if you live in New York City and run for either fun or exercise, um, City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours as a way to discover the history of New York neighborhoods while on a run. There's 23 different types of tours uh, of neighborhoods in Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, and the Bronx. They're offered seven days a week. Um, And it's a great way to learn a little bit about the neighborhoods, get outdoors in a time when it's better to be outdoors than indoors. Um, And yeah, there's a ton of really cool ones to choose from, like the East Village, different neighborhoods like that, Bushwick, Long Island City, Roosevelt Island. You can visit the website, www.cityrunningtours.com slash New York City for more information. Back to you, Teresa. Awesome. Thank you, Emily. All right. So for our our national news segment today, um, I'm just really talking about the virus taking a crazy hit on the U.S. Um, The information from this story was drawn from usnews.com, also from NPR. Um, so the U.S. sees the deadliest day since May as the coronavirus death tolls reaches 250,000. Uh, nearly 1,850 people died from the virus this week on Wednesday, with cases climbing um, all over the Midwest and also the center of America. Experts are saying the number may go up in the coming weeks. The CDC and prevention um, organizations mortality forecast predicts that there will be 276,000 to 290,000 fatalities by Corona by December 12th, guys. This is very scary. Um, And if the higher end of that estimate plays out, that will mean that the country could expect about 50,000 deaths um, probably before the new year. So this is um, definitely on the rise as they predicted Um, it would be in the fall. While there's been positive developments on the vaccine front, experts are concerned highly about the holiday season and all the gatherings, uh, bringing people indoors, which would lead to more cases. Currently, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wisconsin, New Mexico, and Iowa are seeing some of the highest daily deaths per capita, according to data, data gathered by the New York Times. 
Um, I think I seen this week in the press conference with Cuomo, he was comparing the numbers to these states as compared to uh, New York back in our, our peak season where we were, I think, about 84 percent or 48%. Some of these numbers in these middle America states reached over 50%. So it is uh, definitely- 50% what? 50% of- um, I have to get the actual wording, but what, you know, our, our daily number that has to go like 3%, 4%, 5%. Positivity okay. rate. Yes. The positivity rate. Thank you. Right. Once right, we reach yeah. 3%, as you've seen this week, uh, the mayor closed the schools and they're talking about more cuts to gyms and um, restaurants coming up soon. So these, these middle America states, their number was their fit, high positivity rates were in the 50% mark this week when Cuomo made his address. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. He was just like, wow, how are you guys hired in New York City? I mean, um, and in California as well. So it's definitely very scary. Um, Anthony Fauci used this week to cheer on recent vaccine news, but also advise people to follow the mitigation measures that we have been running loose on, you know, like just wearing masks, social distance, and of course, washing your hands. Also on Thursday, the White House Coronavirus Task Force had its first public briefing in months. Members of the task force, including Vice President Mike Pence, noted that the rise of coronavirus cases and positivity rates, uh, meaning that the percentage of coronavirus tests that come back positive across the country have been growing. Um, he did kind of put that we have it under control, but obviously we're not exactly sure what that looks like, what under control looks like at this moment. The White House also declined to engage with President-elect Joe Biden and his incoming administration on coronavirus policy because President Trump has yet to refuse um, to concede the presidential contest. So Mr. Biden on Thursday called Trump's failure to concede incredibly damaging message for the rest of the world. Uh, the Democrat has been very much trying to get the coordination together to combat the outbreak as soon as he takes office. Uh, the CDC has made a lot of announcements on different um, platforms talking about Thanksgiving safety. If you're with your friends and family outside of your household, you should still be wearing your mask, they're saying. Um, the only time you should be taking it off is if you're actually eating. Uh, definitely keep six feet apart. And also some other recommendations that we may not have thought about, bringing your own plates and cups, your own utensils, um, and also safely storing your mask while you're eating and drinking and not just sitting it around where it's, you know, mingling with other people's masks, if you will. Also taking the necessary precautions when it comes to your food being prepared and using one person to serve one specific um, you know, fork or knife, special containers, just to make sure that we are mindful around our families and not just doing what we regularly do. Uh, hosts can plan meals outdoors, obviously limiting the number of people, making sure your windows are open. And then definitely talk to people that are coming to visit you about their whereabouts. Um, today I went to go get tested just as, you know, regular precautionary stuff. Um, and I, there was a lot of people in the line stating that they were about to travel. So even with all these regulations, Americans are still traveling for the holidays and everyone's very concerned about what will happen. I know a lot of colleges who have uh, kids going home for the Thanksgiving break are looking to close to have the students stay off campus and continue remote for the rest of the year to kind of take down and mitigate on the possibility of virus spreading to uh, colleges and universities after this holiday. Um, so definitely please people, this thing is not over. I think that we are also seeing a lot more positivity cases because more people are being tested. Again, there are free testing centers anywhere in New York City for a city MD. Um, you don't have to have medical insurance to get your tests. The rapid tests take 30 minutes for a response. 
if you plan on traveling, I suggest that you please go get a test, be mindful of your family, be mindful of what is happening in this country, because we are the only people that can really stop this thing from growing um, outrageously like it's happening right now. Yeah. So guys, what do you think? I mean, obviously we've been talking about coronavirus all year, but is this the spark we've been waiting for? I, I'm, I'm personally very scared. Um, I think that it really, I mean, like I know that the experts, we've been talking about how like a wave in the fall was coming and we were all worried. I mean, the numbers, they're already breaking records like daily, I feel like about new cases and deaths and hospitalizations nationwide. And, you know, a cold indoor, usually indoor holiday where lots of family gather. And I think, yeah, I think in two weeks or two weeks after Thanksgiving, we're going to see the numbers really spike. Yeah. I mean, those yeah, numbers. I'm very, I'm very disturbed. And I think um, even all of the precautions that are listed, I just shake my head because you already know people are not going to adjust their behavior that dramatically. And even if they do, there's still the fact that you're traveling from one place to another for like a non-emergency issue. We also have like, they have the nose swab tests. Like those are fairly, those are very accurate. You got to wait several days. You can get the test and not have been infected that day and then get infected like the day before you leave. And then your asymptomatic, like the window of time during which you are infectious, if you do um, catch it from someone before you even realize that you're sick, or even if you never do get sick, it's a long window. It's like 10 to 14 days, I think it is. And the uh, the number of people that get it from like asymptomatic spread it's human nature. People let their guard down when they're around people that they care about, that they trust, that they like, and they think that, oh, somebody else, some stranger is going to get me sick. And you don't know that. And I keep thinking back to that wedding in Maine where it was like 50 some people. And from that group, it was like over almost 200 people got infected and several people died, but none of the people who died attended the wedding. Like there's just so many circles of impact that one person has when they decide that they're not going to stay home, that this, to me, I think it's just going to be catastrophic. Like even with all of these, oh, do this, do that. I'm with you, Emily. I think within two weeks, we're going to see really terrible numbers. And I just hope if you can hear me, if you're listening, if you have plans to go somewhere, do not go do something by zoom with people you already live with. It's just, it's not worth it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different things we can do to celebrate with our loved ones this year. And I like what you said, Jasmine, um, about people that you live with people in your building, obviously you don't want to be, you know, spreading opening doors to everybody that you live with, but you know, there's other ways for us to be together. You know, last year, me and my roommate, we actually did Thanksgiving with some of our neighbors And who knew this was coming? You know what I mean? We just kind of, because we normally volunteer. So instead of cooking, you know, after volunteering, we just went to their house. And this year, there wasn't even an option to volunteer um, because people are taking precautions. So um, just please, everybody, just be vigilant with yourselves. You know, don't slip going into this season. Obviously, the flu is running rampant and a bunch of other things. Be healthy you know, from the inside out, do what you need to do to connect to friends and families, but stay home 
wash your hands and please be very careful. Absolutely. And and you're right, Teresa, like we don't have a COVID vaccine yet, but there is a flu vaccine that most people I know, at least before this year, have always just like shrugged their shoulders at, but like get it. Yeah, you know, especially like, if you're high you risk, need- you know. Yeah, or or you are going to be around anyone high risk or just to protect high risk people you don't know, right? Exactly. Like lots of people die from the flu every year. And um, you know, it it the flu the covid is not the flu. Right. <laughs> um as, you know, the myth has been spread previously this year, but um but say you can save some lives by getting the flu shot including potentially your own. Um and also yeah, like everything Jasmine was saying about how rapid tests are not super accurate um just keep that in mind and it is very tricky and you're contagious two days before you actually show symptoms so if you ever um, show symptoms if you ever show symptoms you know and they Correct. think i'm fine i'm fine i feel fine and then meanwhile their patient zero like angel mm-hmm. of death to who knows who yep absolutely um yeah. And, and that timeline for sh- like, if you're ever going to show symptoms too, right? Like it it's anywhere between two and I believe you're right, 14 days. So you can have been exposed and then you could be still on the process of getting sick up to two weeks later. So it's, it's very tricky. The app, I think the median is about five days, um, but it's very tricky and it's tricky to know when you're contagious enough for the test to even show if you are like viral, even if it's already, you know, there's a lot of factors in place. It's very scary. Be very careful. Absolutely, everybody. And if you are going to see your loved ones, please get a test. All right. So we're going to go ahead and take another musical break before we jump into our international news segment. Good news. The next track is a jazz record from Freddie Hubbard and it's called Red Clay. We'll be right back.
to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we'll jump right into our international segment. Jasmine, what do you have for us today? Okay, so this story, I saw this information on the BBC website. So on um, BBC, the world news segment, they have an article about the French president, Emmanuel Macron, asking Muslim leaders to agree to a, quote, charter of Republican values as part of a broad clampdown on what he calls radical Islam. So this past Wednesday, he gave the French Council of the Muslim Faith, or the CFCM, 15 days to work with the Interior Ministry. The CFCM has agreed to create a National Council of Imams, or Islamic Religious Leaders, which will reportedly issue imams with official accreditation, which could be withdrawn. And this, these changes are happening after three suspected Islamic attacks in little more than a month. So um, particularly, I'm not sure if you all heard, but there was a, a French teacher who was murdered after showing um, Im- like vulgar images of the Prophet Muhammad in a free speech class. He was targeted online yeah. and an 18-year-old um, killed him. I did that story, Jasmine, a couple of weeks ago. I think yeah. it was when you submitted yours to us in the recording. Okay. The charter states that Islam is a religion and not a political movement while also prohibiting foreign interference in Muslim groups. The president has strongly defended French secularism in the wake of the attacks, which included, as we just said, the beheading of a teacher who showed cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad during a class uh, last month in October. One source says two principles will be inscribed in black and white in the charter, the rejection of political Islam and any foreign interference, they told the Le Parisien newspaper after the meeting. The formation of the National Council of Imams was also agreed upon. The measures include a wide-ranging bill that seeks to prevent radicalization and it includes measures such as restrictions on homeschooling and harsher punishments for those who intimidate public officials on religious grounds, giving an identification number under the law that would be used to ensure they are intending, attending school. Parents who break the law could face up to six months in jail as well as large fines. There will also be a ban on sharing the personal information of a person in a way that allows them to be located by the people who want to harm them. The draft law will be discussed by the French cabinet on December 9th. Oh, so before he was killed, um, Samuel Patty, the t- Patty, the teacher, had sent, a messages, had sent messages saying, it's really distressing and particularly as it comes from a family whose child wasn't in my lesson and isn't someone I know. It's becoming a malicious rumor. He later wrote in a separate email, I won't do any more teaching on this topic. I'll choose another freedom as a subject for teaching. Earlier this year, President Macron described Islam as a religion in crisis, and he defended the right of magazines to publish cartoons depicting the Prophet Muhammad. Such depictions are widely regarded as taboo in Islam and are considered highly offensive by many Muslims. Following those comments earlier in the year, the French president became a figure of hate in several Muslim-majority countries. 
protesters have also called for a boycott of French products. In France, state secularism or laïcité is central to the country's national identity. So earlier when I said republicanism, it's not in the sense that we have Democrat Republican here, but it's more this kind of universalist idea of what a citizen is supposed to be. Freedom of expression in schools and other public spaces is part of that and curbing it to protect the feelings of a particular religion is seen as undermining national unity. Uh, and the article ends with the note that France has Western Europe's largest Muslim population. So yeah, like I, you know, especially when I saw the little, the note about children having ID numbers to track them, I, it wasn't clear to me initially that that was going to be all children. It wasn't just um, Muslim children, but yeah, I, I find this development to be disturbing. Right. Yeah. Can you can you repeat that, Jasmine? So part of the new rules are are is about all children. Right. It's not just specifically. I thought when I read the headline right. that it was tracking only um, Muslim children. But from what I read, when I tried to Google a little bit more, it looks like it's going to be like children across the board are going to get this ID number to make sure what? that they're showing up in school. Interesting. And that's like everyone under the legal age of, I guess, needing guardianship, I guess, whatever. I, the... I would assume so. I didn't look at yeah. the exact age restrictions. Yeah, it's interesting. And I guess what do you are you, do you understand why that's part of this? Is it to prevent to make sure everyone's in the same? What part of the issue is like with Macron's comments about Islam being in crisis and all of this? There's a lot of stigmatization of um, like observant Muslims and people that might want to send their children to like a religious school. So there's been a lot of. Um, I would call it fear-mongering about mm -hmm. students being pulled out of school and then radicalized in these secret schools or at home. So this is a measure ostensibly to prevent that, you know, saying that if these, if we make sure all children are present and in a regular state school and not being taught at home, we're going to be able to stop um, radical Islam. So that's the idea behind the whole numbering thing. That seems really troubling considering the cultural aspect um, of Islam, you know, because I, in a lot of times in these discussions um, about how Islam appears in France, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, the mainstream media kind of demonizing it, demonizes um, Islam there. And I know there's been a lot of, you know, terrorist activity and different things that's happened, but in general, you know, the actual customs of the Islam, Islamic faith, it just seems like this is infiltrating on that, if you will. Like they can, they can number them and students can go to school, but that doesn't stop a household from teaching traditions or, you know, belief systems. You know, it doesn't stop them. It, I, I don't know. Am I making sense? It just seems to me like I get what they're trying to do, but it, I don't know if it's the, the right way to, stop children from being influenced 
Um, I think it's it's different from the. I feel like there's similar similarities between what's happening there and what we've seen in the U.S. But one of the differences is like in the U.S., the Muslim population is very small compared to that in France. But here, like, there's this outside paranoia about Islamic terrorism, but you don't see any of that same energy and resources put into groups that have actually accomplished far more violence within the U.S. Right. So it, it to me, it seems like there's a similar, like, let's scapegoat this community and put all this extra scrutiny on them um, that I think is is very disturbing. And I also, I, I don't know if you all remember the, the Charlie Hebdo shooting that happened after they published um, images of the prophet Muhammad and then yeah. some of the cartoonists were killed. I remember very clearly how immediately everyone was like, je suis Charlie and everything. And I remember initially having that reaction just out of shock, like, oh my God, like these people were just at work. And then I started to do more reading into like the history of that um, magazine. And I thought like how the the whole, to be clear, I do not believe that anyone should be killed because they drew an image. I'm not saying that at all. I do not agree with that. But I will say, I think it's very disturbing that there is this insistence on publishing and propagating images that you know are extremely offensive to a large number of your population within your country and also outside because you're trying to prove a point. Um, I'm not a religious person. I, I would say I'm probably more close to being an atheist, but that even left a bad taste in my mouth how there's some like within some atheist circles they will do stuff like, oh, let's have a day where we all draw the Prophet Muhammad. And I just am, I'm not in agreement with that, you know, and there are a lot of very xenophobic, racist, violent undertones to like, let's mock this religion. And then if people respond or they complain about it, we'll just say that they're not real citizens or they're not committed enough to this country. And I just... I don't agree with that. And it's unfortunate, but when you have like these instances of extreme violence that happen, I feel like it gives all of these xenophobic racist people an excuse to kind of unleash the worst and clamp down on everyone in that group because they don't like them. Yeah, I agree with that full heartedly. I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at um, that, you know, demonizing things that because they don't agree with it or, the way that they handle it but I agree with you fully on that yeah that's that's really interesting Jasmine I haven't really thought about that particular issue in that way before it's definitely interesting um and very thought-provoking and and also I think to backtrack a little bit to I think also what Teresa might part of her point might have well no I don't know if it was her point or not but um my understanding about the the violent sort of terrorism things that happen across the religious political spectrum in the u.s and white nationalism too my understanding is that that sort of indoctrination is largely happening on the internet um so like tracking students and where they go to school isn't really stopping that or really even doing anything 
with that at all. Yeah, because I don't have the the young man's name, but the man who he was an eighteen year old. Um, I think eth- ethnically he was Chechen, and he was a refugee from Russia with his family, and he came to France at the age of six, and apparently like his sister had joined ISIS or something, and then he got into it, but. They've interviewed, oh, yeah. like, his father, who was, like, just a regular guy, you know, and it's true, like, you don't know, like, a lot, people do get radicalized in all types of ways and sucked into these um, extremist communities, but like you said, a lot of that does happen on the internet, and this this hyper-focus and demonization of just regular, regular people going about their life, like it's their fault. I think it's very creepy. And it, it reminds me a lot of what we see here, like labeling people as extremists because they're saying, this is my religion, this is my culture, and I want it to be respected. Like I shouldn't be treated like my faith and my beliefs are a joke to try to prop up secularism there's nothing wrong with saying that but it's almost like if you do say it they want to slap you with this label like you're pro beheading people and that's not the case it's this you see it here with blm people saying blm and antifa are you know destroying cities and all this other shit when in reality you're like you know this is a racist country and we're not taking it anymore but as soon as the government slaps you with that label, next thing you know, people are tapping your phones, monitoring you, planting people in your communities to try to entrap you into some shit. And I think that, you know, what's happening over there sounds very similar to what we've seen with the Muslim community here and also with um, black activists through the years and it's I, I think it's not I don't think it's a step in the right direction at all absolutely I agree with you yeah definitely yeah yeah it's really interesting because I think you know I, I know we're we're just about wrapping this segment up but yeah I mean like the violence that we saw with Charlie Hebdo it's like it's so beyond what's like acceptable in society like the the violence that came out of that um which you've already mentioned jasmine so that's not new for me to say but it it's really interesting to think about you know does that does but the violence that happened does that make it okay that those cartoons were print you know what I mean like does the the cartoons themselves like are they yeah I don't know if you've seen it but I actually went and was looking at some of the cartoons that they've had and I'm like this shit is racist as fuck Mm. it's like these very disgusting caricatures of like brown Muslim people Hmm. and when women it's not just the one that was an image of the prophet but I'm thinking Mm -hmm. to myself if it was you know one of these people you know one of these white I was thinking like if there's an analogy to me would be like there's plenty of like white nationalist people that publish all types of super ugly really gross caricatures of black people that say very nasty shit and if something were to happen where you know, someone were to attack them in the street I'm not saying I would condone it but I damn sure wouldn't be like in solidarity with the people making those cartoons, if you know what I'm saying. 
Exactly. Exactly. And that's a good way to put it because you have to think about how that greater conversation influences people's thoughts. Um, yeah, this is, this is, I still don't agree with this putting chips and yeah. people in, in the babies. I'm still not ready for that. I don't think. Yeah. Putting numbers on them. Yeah. I just, one last thing I'll just say in general, I think people really need to reflect on what type of violence gets this type of reaction from the powers that be and what types of violence are normalized and allowed to slide. And it, it says a lot about who is considered valuable and what who's an acceptable target for different types of violence. So we'll see how this develops. All right. Well, thank you for that story, Jasmine. Teresa, is it is it time for me to do the the good news? Absolutely. I was totally over there right. talking with my mic. <laughs> Mute it. <laughs> but nonetheless, please give us some good news, Emily. I'd be happy to. Wonderful. So um this story comes from a November 17th New York Times article by Apoorva Mandavili titled Immunity to the Coronavirus May Last Years. New data hint. Woohoo. Um, so the article explains that new research indicates that immunity to the coronavirus could last, quote, years, maybe even decades. Uh, it should be noted that the study was only published online and not and neither peer and wasn't peer reviewed or published in a scientific journal. But it shows that, quote, eight months after infection, most people who have recovered still have enough immune cells to fend off the virus and prevent illness. Also, quote, a slow rate of decline in the short term suggests happily that these cells may persist in the body for a very, very long time to come and thus prevent most people from getting severely sick with COVID anytime soon after initially being exposed whether by catching it the regular way or hopefully in the near future getting a vaccine. It's interesting to note that, quote, the research squares with another recent finding, that survivors of SARS caused by another coronavirus still carry certain important immune cells 17 years after recovering. A study published, oh, quote, a study published last week also found that people who have recovered from COVID-19 have powerful and protective killer immune cells even when antibodies are not detectable. And while, quote, a small number of infected people in the new study did not have long-lasting immunity after recovery, perhaps because of differences in the amounts of coronavirus they were exposed to, uh, but vaccines can come can overcome that individual variability. Um, and that was according to an immunologist at the University of Toronto. Quote, in recent months, reports of waning antibody levels have created worry that immunity to the coronavirus may disappear in a few months leaving people vulnerable to the virus again. But many immunologists have noted that it is natural for antibody levels to drop. And, quote, although antibodies in the blood are needed to block the virus and forestall a second infection, a condition known as sterilizing immunity, immune cells that remember um, the virus more often are responsible for preventing serious illness. Um and, you know, remember, not in the sense that, like, human beings remember in their brain. It's like that cell memory, you know, sciencey stuff. So, quote, the coronavirus in particular is slow to do harm, giving the immune system plenty of time to kick into gear should the immune system, see, get, you know, come into contact with it again. According to an immunologist at the Lajola Institute of Immunology and a co-leader of the study, quote, it may be terminated fast enough that not only are you not experiencing any symptoms, but you are not infectious. 
While there's still plenty of information to learn about COVID-19, um, some of which may not all be good news, to be sure, down the line, this is definitely something to be happy about in the midst of some very bleak pandemic news, which we covered earlier in the show. Um, but this, combined with pos- positive vaccine updates from both Pfizer and Moderna, uh, <clears throat> 94 to 95% effective, um, we've got some hope on the horizon for sure. Um yeah, and I know that um, we we talked about the vaccine's effectiveness and how and Jasmine, you we you know you talked about this as well. How there's especially with Pfizer specifically, there's a lot of things that could prevent it from you know ending the pandemic as fast as we'd want to. Things like it needs to be below freezing temperatures, and the data is very preliminary, but. Moderna finding similar um, effectiveness, very high um, effectiveness results. And then also, I don't think the Moderna vaccine needs to be stored in as cold temperatures as the Pfizer vaccine. Like, it's all good news (laughs) for the future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emily, for wrapping us up with some positive news (laughs) that we definitely needed today. And that's it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, on the Radio Free Brooklyn app, on Spotify, or anywhere you can find iTunes podcasts. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track of today is a really cool hip-hop track. I just found this young lady. Her name is Tierra Womack, and she is from Philadelphia. This song is called Peppers and Onions. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. You got to be the one the people looking up to. Yeah. I tried to reach the sun, but got me stuck to my shoes. Yeah. You got to be the one the people looking up to. Yeah. I tried to reach the sun, but got me stuck to my shoes. I'm only human. I'm not perfect, just a person. I'm only human. Sometimes happy, sometimes nervous. I'm only human. I'm not perfect, just a person. So forgive me if I get this wrong I get lost sometimes, literally I roam I had to figure certain things out on my own Make a phone call home to the ones I love Shit crazy out here, hey, you high off drugs To be real, man, I thought about pulling the plug So I can go fly high with the ones above Yeah I don't wanna be judged, I just wanna be me Even though we buy chains, we just wanna be free I don't wanna be judged, I just wanna be me We just wanna be free the one the people looking up to yeah. I tried to reach the sun but got me stuck to my shoes yeah. You got to be the one the people looking up to yeah. I tried to reach the sun but got me stuck to my shoes yeah. I'm only human I'm not perfect, just a person yeah. I'm only human Sometimes happy, yeah. sometimes nervous I'm only human I'm not perfect, just a person And the cons of being a bomb, baby. You can have a ticket, might not be your time. But oftentimes, I gotta remind myself to combine my thoughts and never deny my help. A whole lot richer and a whole lot quicker, but I had to slow it down because I ain't no great digger. White folks yelling, yo, that's a brave nigga. Paparazzi taking pictures like I'm in a cage, nigga. I don't wanna be judged, I just wanna be me. Even though we buy chains, we just wanna be free. I don't wanna be judged, I just wanna be me. We just wanna be free. You got to be the 
one the people looking up to. Yeah, I tried to reach the sun, but got me stuck to my shoes. Yeah, you got to be the one the people looking up to. Yeah, I tried to reach the sun, but got me stuck to my shoes. I'm only you.